thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Educational, leading publishers of books, directories, educational guides and magazines aimed at schools in the UK and beyond. Enjoy the podcast. Good evening, everybody, and welcome along to Teachers Talk Radio this evening, the late show with me, Tom Rogers. This will be available live now um, via Twitter Spaces. It will also be available as a podcast in the next day or two via Teachers Talk Radio, um, which you can follow on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you pick up your podcasts. This one will be available in the next sort of 24 to 48 hours. The topic tonight is all around Andrew Tate, his growing influence, uh, what this means, why he has become uh, as influential as he has, uh, particularly amongst young uh, men uh, and boys, and how schools are trying to manage that, uh, what they may want or need to do to manage it. Um, and I've got some uh, a number of, of sort of guests on the panel this evening who are going to help me digest this, analyse it, discuss it, um, talk about it. I know that the guests will be sort of dipping in and out as we go, um, but in no particular order. And you can see two of them already speakers. We've got Matt Pinkett, um, the author of Boys Don't Try, and also English teacher, blogger, podcaster, and general thinker in the area of misogyny and, um, I guess, sexism and all those things around those areas, which many people say are prevalent in schools. Um, I've seen many, many comments in the last few months saying that, that sexism and misogyny is a huge issue amongst uh, within schools and i i have agreed personally with a lot of those comments i've seen with my own eyes uh, much of what they describe and uh, perhaps not the specifics of what many people have described but i've seen we will all have our own examples and and um, things that we could say so just before i bring in the guests a little bit of an introduction for anybody who doesn't know and many teachers don't know yet really uh, about Andrew Tate. He, he, I mean, he's really emerged into the public domain in the last year or two. He's become really, really uh, prominent. Um, he's an American British social media personality, businessman, and former professional kickboxer. And following his kickboxing career, he began offering paid courses and memberships through his website. He became a social media influencer. And his biggest thing, I guess, that he's well known for is promoting this, in inverted commas, ultra-masculine, ultra-luxurious, materialistic lifestyle. And he is a self-described misogynist. And Tate's sort of controversial commentary has resulted in his suspension from several social media platforms. In recent times, uh, we know that he was also arrested in Romania and he remains, as far as I know, under arrest in Romania in Bucharest. Um, now, Tate still has a real influence amongst boys, and many teachers talk about how they hear. Uh, many teachers talk about how they hear boys talking about Andrew Tate. Obviously, some not all of them have a positive view of him, 
but there will be those that do. Um, so my question is, you know, what is it that he's saying that, um, that you know, let's identify the problem first and then move on to, to the other stuff. So I'm going to start with Matt because I know he's only got a little bit of time. So Matt, do you want to just unmute yourself and say hi, first of all? Hi, everyone. Nice to see you. Uh, I say see you. Nice, nice to be here. <laughs> yeah. Um, Matt, I've given you, I've already done a little introduction for you. Yeah. Um, but I wondered, let, let's kick this off. What's your view on Andrew Tate? Let's, make, let's keep it really simple. <laughs> I don't think I'm allowed to say it on here. <laughs> we after not, you have to be after Yeah, no, don't, don't swear. But, but, <laughs> but I wondered, I mean, let's, let's just kick off in the very, very outset. You're, you're a teacher, right? You're still yeah, in, I am. in the school. So yeah. what's, I mean, have you heard about, has Andrew Tate been talked about in your school or I've, in your. Of course he has. I mean, in answer to your question, um, you know, who is Andrew Tate to me? I think he's a groomer. I think he's groomed. I think what he's doing is grooming vulnerable boys or uneducated, uh, uneducated in a sense, boys and men uh, to follow his like quite toxic brand of masculinity. I think that, I think that Tate has been groomed himself. I think um, despite the strength and power that he perhaps exudes to many people in actual fact he himself is a victim of masculinity um and he's allowed himself to be seduced by a toxic brand of masculinity uh that treats women and people that aren't heterosexual uh pretty appallingly uh so, so that's who i think andrew tate is uh i think he's weak uh in answer to uh, boys have I, you know, have I heard as a teacher boys um, having been seduced by 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 his by his uh, stick? Then, then yes, yeah, certainly I have. Um, do you know what? I think actually it would be quite hard to find a secondary school teacher today who hasn't uh, encountered Tate in in some some way or form. Certainly even over the past couple of weeks. It's like it, with his arrest, uh his profile has has grown. I remember in the summer back in August we were all worried about it. There were teachers on social media talking about what they needed to do on inset days uh to educate staff on Tate and who he is. Um and while he was always there, I think actually in September and October um it wasn't necessarily a problem, but uh, certainly there's been a huge spike. You can just, I think it's, you know, national media attention, um, but certainly the boys that I, I teach uh, and listening to teachers on Twitter, I think the last couple of weeks since his arrest, his profile has, has only grown and more and more boys are, well, if they're not being seduced by Tate, they're certainly weaponizing his name to to cause a stir and, and i think it's working when we when we talk about the phrase toxic masculinity yeah right yeah. um because you know somebody put a tweet out earlier today which i thought was quite interesting and it's sort of yeah there, there was a bit of it where i thought yeah i sort of get where this is coming from it said quote demonizing andrew tate won't solve the problem of why many teenage boys idolize andrew tate Boys need good male role models, and in the absence of decent ones, they gravitate towards men like Tate, 
who at least talk about masculinity in a positive way. That's Lucy Marsh from the Family Education Trust. I'm not saying I agree with that, by the way, particularly the last sentence. The first sentence, though, I sort of, you know, this idea that what 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 is masculinity? What is toxic masculinity? How can we how can we promote, if you like, the idea that being I don't know that that but yeah, I'm asking yeah, you that question. Okay. You're more of an expert than I am yeah. on this. I'm just sort of voicing these ideas. Yeah. Um, firstly, with regards to the male role model issue, the research isn't actually very clear on that. Um, I think this idea that male role models are the saviour to the world's problems um, or the problems of masculinity do such a huge injustice to the women uh, in the lives of many of these boys, single mothers that are working their asses off to bring these boys up and make them good men, to the female teachers that are there day in, day out. Um, I, I really am sceptical of this idea that we need positive um, male role models as a solution to um, the problems that are, are of many aspects of masculinity. Um, yeah. In answer, you know, what is toxic masculinity? Um, you know, it, it, it's a fun question to ask and, and people um, spend a lot of time debating it and criticising the term uh, and then, you know, start talking about, well, there are different types of masculinity. Um, in essence, I think we all know what toxic masculinity is. Toxic masculinity is a masculinity that thrives on the objectification and subjugation of women. It thrives on aggression it's a masculinity that is about the suppression of emotions and the um, the kind of putting violence uh, on a pedestal. It's uh, a masculinity that's kind of unabashed in its kind of brazen sexuality and the way it imposes that upon others who have not consented um, to be exposed to it. Uh, it's about... Um, it's about competitiveness. Uh, I think I think I've summed it up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, why do you think then that Andrew Tate and people? I mean, we, we, we're singling out Andrew Tate. I mean, there's other other. I'm sure there's there's many other influencers who who maybe have similar views or or, or some similar views to him. So we're singling him out because he's probably been in the news the most but why is it then that young boys young men are resin why are they sort of latching on to him and his messages what is it about it that's it can't it can't be that all of these boys all of them are you know are sort of fundamentally bad no bad, no bad. of course you know what of I mean? course not so there's got to be there's got to be certain things that he's saying or doing that that is appealing to yeah. them or something that they they feel disenfranchised over or something that they feel frustrated i don't know what it is maybe it's frustration in themselves that he's sort of latching onto i don't yeah. know but there's something there. What is okay, it? I think the, 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 there's three parts to that answer. Firstly, um, he's powerful, he's rich, and he spends his life in the company of women who Western society would define by Western standards as physically attractive. Um, uh, it's 
you yeah. know, I think any person that wants that power, money, and the um, the company of attractive people, be it physically attractive, be it attractive in personality, I don't think you have to be a villain to want those things. So he presents a lifestyle yeah. um, that 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 has been sold to boys since you know from day one. You know, he's yeah. James Bond, isn't he? He's real life James Bond. Um, Another thing is, I do think he provides an antidote to um, the very real threat that boys perceive to their masculinity. Um, masculinity is in a precarious position right now. Um, for years, uh, we have, or us, and by we I mean men and boys, we've had everything we've ever wanted. Um, even if we're not powerful, we still have more power than women. We get paid more than women. We're allowed to go out at night and we don't have to hold keys behind our, you know, between our knuckles as a weapon. Um, we can, you know, we can go out on our own. We can, you know, we get paid more. And all we've had to do to achieve all that is be born with a penis. And all of a sudden, um, <laughs> all of a sudden, that's, 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 that's a threat. And I do think we're a lot better in education. I do think we're a lot more gender aware. We do, um, rightly so. I do think we live in a feminist education system uh, now, rightly so. However, the very real facts are that still cartoons, books, films, Netflix shows still present a masculinity that teaches video games you know that that teaches this old masculinity i guess it, it, you know it, it seems at once outdated but also it is still very much there and for many of these boys you know their dads have had everything they wanted their dads think it is their right that they get paid more that you know that it's okay to be violent their granddads did and all of a sudden and rightly so the me too movement everyone's invited conversations like this are a threat to that and so you've got the group of boys that that that, that don't want that threat um, and these are the same type of boys that misunderstand for example what feminism is they encounter feminism on youtube which is often radical feminism which can be quite violent um and and, and they they totally don't understand what what feminism is um, and then you've got another set of boys. You've got another set of boys who are good boys, who are polite, who are chivalrous, whatever that means. Um, they're not sexist. They don't objectify um, their mm. peers or their teachers or, or women. But they feel aggrieved at the fact that they're having to take responsibility for the sins of their fathers their grandfathers their brothers and their friends and so that burning sense of injustice again makes Tate attractive to them he you know why should I um I don't know why should I um not what you know why should I cross the road in the middle of the night when a when a single woman on her own is coming towards me why should I do that to make her feel safe I'm not going to rape her I'm not going to attack her just because some other man's going to do that why should I inconvenience myself that's not fair that's not fair and that kind of attitude means that you know actually Tate that turns into resentment and then again they become almost one of these other sets of boys who are simply drawn to Tate because um, 
they feel that they should be stronger than women and that, that, that that's what they're entitled to. Sorry, I'm rambling. No, no, thanks for that answer, uh, Matt. That's, that's yeah, you, you've, you've covered a lot of bases there. Charlotte, I, I want to bring Charlotte in. Um, Charlotte is a teacher in Northern Ireland, I believe. And Charlotte, I think you've done more media, media appearances in the last couple of weeks than uh, your average politician. Uh, do you want to unmute yourself, bottom left? Charlotte? Uh, is that it? Hello, yes. Good <laughs> Hello, good evening, yes. yes. Um, How are you doing? Okay? Yes, I'm good, I'm good. Excellent. My, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that I really enjoyed listening to Matt. Everything that he said was, was really important to hear. And, uh, you know, just him talking in the end about about how boys feel that burning sense of injustice I, I think that's that's a you know I think that's really interesting and I think there's a lot more to think about around that can I ask you Charlotte what, what are the things that that Mr Tate and other people like Mr Tate say that are particularly problematic in in your view um, you know, I have not really concerned myself too much with Andrew Tate, to be honest. Um, you know, I just see him as the latest in the long line of, you know, people who are saying out loud what a lot of men think um, or, or privately say to each other. So I feel that this week has been an opportunity to, to raise the issue and to help, you know, parents and teachers think about it. Yeah. But I haven't, you know, I, I, I don't watch Andrew Tate on TikTok. And, and, and to be honest, the boys that I teach are not sitting in classrooms, you know, imitating them or spouting stuff that he says. No, no. What, what, what they're doing is they're asking me, here, miss, uh, do you like Andrew Tate, you know? And, and they're saying it with a smile on their face because yeah. they're having a bit of a laugh. And, um, and they, they want me to say, oh, he's such a baddie, you know, mm. let's, let's have an argument. Yeah. But... But of course, I, I couldn't initially say he's a baddie because I didn't know anything about him. Because until September of this year, of, of yeah. the past year, I hadn't heard of him, you know. And the kids had to tell me, you know, a little bit about him. And then I Googled him. And what, and did, so, what did they tell you, Charlotte? What did they tell so they you? Told, well, they told me, first of all, that he was an MMA champion and that's how he'd made all his money. Yeah. So that's how they thought he, you know, rose to fame and made all of his money. Well, that's um, probably true initially, at least. I suppose before. I he... don't think he would have made that much money, you know, winning winning titles, you know. Well, maybe not compared to now, but I think yeah. he was. I mean, he was a world champion, so he, I think he was doing quite well. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, not not compared to now, but I mean, that's you know? how he. And, and and to be honest, that's how they presented him to me. Yeah. And yeah. and and then I googled him and saw. Well, I saw that he was hanging around with Tommy Robinson, and um, and I said to the boys, "Oh, you know, this is a bit of a bad sign." And of course, quite worryingly, the boys said, "Oh, we like Tommy Robinson." <laughs> and then that was another whole conversation to have. But um, so. So, yeah, I, I do not have an encyclopedic knowledge of all the things that Andrew Tate has ever said. Well, let, me, let me rephrase the question. Then. What are the things that people like Andrew Tate say um, that you think, A, are problematic and B, are appealing to young boys? Because mm. they are appealing to them. So I'm asking you, A, 
what are these problematic messages or themes or ideas? And B, why are they... I mean, Matt's already sort of answered that, but I wonder what your take on that was as to why they are proving so influential and popular. Well, I mean, I think that it's possible that boys like Andrew Tate and they love the fact that he's glamorous and cool mm. and good looking and strong and really powerful and um, he has loads of money. I think that they can, you know, really love all that about him and admire all that about him, but not necessarily buy into the misogyny that he yeah. spouse. Because yeah. the boys that I've spoken to, um, you know, a lot of them, especially the younger ones, you know, so the 13, 14 year olds, um, seem to think that it's all about cars and it's all about money and it's all about him being cool. And they haven't really necessarily picked up on, you know, they haven't fully, you know, digested the other stuff. Whereas maybe the older boys or the boys who are spending more time on this stuff um, yeah. are the ones who are taking the misogynistic message to heart. And maybe also they've been teenagers longer. They've had more time to be, you know, sort of ground down by life um, and looking for a reason to explain why things aren't so good. So I think the younger boys might be just really fascinated by the cars and the fancy stuff. And the things they say to me was like, oh, miss, what colour is your Bugatti? And um, <laughs> I mean, I thought they were making fun of me because I cycled to school. And yeah. um, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I've got, I've got a pretty ordinary bike. Um, so... To me, the boys are, they're just really wrapped up with the glamour. But also what I've heard Andrew Tate say on, in some of, you know, the things I've been listening to is that he almost has contempt, like for his listeners. And he, he sort of speaks to them about if you're not rich, it's your fault and you need to fix it. Um, and so there's... I mean, I don't know enough about him to say this, but is he, is he 100, is he serious in what he's saying and doing I, I don't know enough about him i know obviously i've seen some of the clips in research in this show and, and whatever else but it but some of it's just so ridiculous that you, you sort of wonder if it's just for almost effect to get the attention to get the you know to get the hits yeah. so to speak. I, I don't know the answer to that because well, well i he, don't know he certainly so. does you know he does look like a cartoon you know he sits there in a sort of like like a, a smoking jacket or something with you know a cigar and in a, in a wood paneled room and it is like something from you know like a parody it, it, it's a joke it's sort of but that's because we're adults and we can see that whereas I think kids don't see that as ridiculous they see that as exciting and glamorous let me ask you Charlotte what, what are you what's your school been doing with the issue of a sort of misogyny I mean I mean I want to talk about this in in education. I mean, how much of an issue do you think sexism is in schools, particularly for um, uh, teachers who are who are not male? Mm. I mean, right. how much of an issue do you think this is, and 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 for girls, you know? Well, I mean, I think it is a significant enough issue to spend a lot of my time campaigning on it and organizing conferences every year to challenge it so you know and it manifests itself in various ways the problem the, part Ooh, of the just solution. losing you slightly charlotte but i'm not sure if that's just me maybe my admin can tell me but i just lost you very slightly there oh sorry 
Sorry, okay. are, are we back? Good? Yeah, you slightly dropped him, but I don't know. It may, it may just be me. I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, I'll, I'll bring someone else in and I'll come back to you in a second and see if that makes any difference. Um, Emily, are you there? You need to click unmute on the bottom left. <laughs> oh, yes, Hello. yes, I am. Yep. <laughs> good <Sorry> evening. <laughs> uh, it's okay. How, how are you doing? Okay. Yeah, good. Thank you. Yes. Thanks for having me. Now, you, you, no, no problem. Thank you very much for giving up your time. You are a senior lecturer in criminology at the University of Surrey, mm-hmm. and you do research um, with young people about sex and relationships. Yeah. Um, now, I wondered what your take on the whole Andrew Tate issue is, um, because I've, I've been reading comments you made in a recent article where you argued that teachers' sort of well-intentioned attempts to shut down misogynistic conversations can sometimes or often make things worse. Yeah, and I, I, I made that argument in as... I was trying to be constructive, um, recognising with that that yeah, it absolutely is well-meaning. And I think we've got um, quite a lot of emphasis now, haven't we, in general on on this idea of zero tolerance and creating um, environments within schools in which, you know, low-level banter and all of that kind of stuff is addressed as a problem rather than just trivialised and ignored or, or whatever. So so I'm not saying that the efforts aren't well-meaning. They, they certainly are. Um, but I think the problem in as far as what I'm picking up from boys and and observing is that it's not shutting someone down doesn't resolve any of the Mm. underlying beliefs or attitudes, right? That sits Mm. underneath the expression of that misogynistic view. Maybe sexism is expressed or something because the person genuinely believes in it um, or um, maybe and or um, to impress peers. And and we know how boys kind of bounce off of each other and say and do these things to be shocking um, and all the rest of it and to gain inclusion in their peer group. Whatever the kind of motivation is that sits underneath the expression of of those ideas, um, just telling someone, no, you're not allowed to say that. yeah, I mean, it's not it's not resolving any of the underlying, like, the cause of the expression of that belief. And also, it potentially might make things worse if it feeds into a narrative of, oh, you know, we're not allowed to speak. No one's hearing us. We're not mm. allowed. You know, that, that notion of, you know, we live in this woke time where we, we police what people are allowed to say and censorship and all of this. And, and then people like Andrew Tate can make an argument that, yeah, you know, you're not allowed to hold certain beliefs. You're not allowed to hurt say certain mm. things and all of this. And, and so, so it can kind of antagonise that perception. I mean, can you give it... I, personally, I completely hear what you're saying and I, and I, and I agree with that. But, what, but I was wondering, can you give an example in, in sort of a classroom context of what that might look like? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, like, like I think you said um, in the intro, I... Um, most of my research focuses on relationships and sex education and young people's engagement with that and, and what it's achieving and um, doing um, observations of lessons um, around teaching of, you know, complex conversations about porn and, and consent and that kind of thing. And, and often what you find is, um, you know, boys sometimes coming out with statements that aren't always entirely appropriate. Um, for example, um, I was watching a teacher talk through an example of um, of, a, of a of a situation, a sexual encounter between a boy and a girl, where the boy was being pressured by the girl in the in the hypothetical scenario, and she yeah. was asking the class, right, okay, like would this be um, consensual or not consensual or whatever? 
and this um this boy shouted out he said um oh well you know miss it depends on how fit she is like if she's ugly then it's definitely rape and um and all his mates crack up laughing and obviously that that's a really inappropriate comment right and it's inappropriate on so many levels right it's it's misogynistic but also what that's saying about consent and and all of that Mm. is there's a lot of stuff to unpack with a comment like that right and I thought, oh, but it's interesting that the guy said that, like that, that there are things being expressed there around like male victimization, like loads of assumptions, aren't there? Loads of social norms and all of that mm-hmm. being expressed. But, mm-hmm. but the teacher was just like, you can't say that. Absolutely never say anything like that in my classroom again. So conversation was over. There was no unpacking of what had been said, why it had been said or anything. And then him and all his mates were just laughing with each other about it. So there's no movement forward, right? And then the problem is that because um, that teacher, she said to me afterwards, she says, oh, I know the boys get a bit fed up with me. They see me as like the feminist teacher that's always banging on about what they are and aren't allowed to say. And I and I was thinking to myself, yeah, you know, that's the problem, right? Their version of feminism that they're engaging with or what they're perceiving to be happening in that space is, yeah, not not for me. I'm not allowed to say anything. I'm just getting told off. Yeah, I'm just going to go and laugh with my mates. And Andrew Tate kind of says that how it is. And yeah, it, it's attractive, right? And, you know, and I'm not saying that we tolerate that, that those kind of contributions, yeah. but I think we have to do something with them, not just shut them down. Matt, if you're still there, I'll bring you back in at this point and, and sort yep. of what your thoughts on that are. Because I personally, I, I sort of resonate with a lot of that. I can understand why the teacher, a teacher who sort of panics and thinks, if mm. I get into this, I've done this in the past, if I get into this with this group, yep. it could turn into carnage you know all sorts of comments being thrown around and whatever but fundamentally i completely you know understand what emily is yeah. saying there that's my yeah opinion. i mean I, I i totally agree with everything that emily's uh, dr yeah. emily said um i think that certainly we need to be having these discussions however um I think we also need to accept two things. It's it's not simply as easy as saying we need to have discussions. Um, it's very easy for me, as uh, you know, a white heterosexual male that sounds the way I do with a shaved head who, who watches a bit of football to have these conversations with um, a group of misogynistic boys. Um, if I'm a 23-year-old ECT teacher in a class full of year 11 boys who are spouting misogyny at me, um, you know, obviously I'm not, you know, just an example, I can understand, well, well, actually the very fact is I I can't possibly begin to imagine. I could imagine that that situation could potentially be intimidating. Um, It could be difficult. Um, So I do think we need to help teachers, male and female, um, Think about actually, well, how can we have these discussions? What is a constructive way of having these discussions? And can how can, how can we have these discussions not only in a way that educates the boys and, uh, to coin a phrase that Dr. Emily used, moves them forward, but also mm. allows me as the teacher to feel safe and not in any position of vulnerability, really. So I do think we need to think about how we can... I don't know if it's scripts or, you know, there needs to be, we need to do some proper thinking actually about what makes a good discussion and the 
conditions for good discussion so that all parties involved in the discussion. Um, because we've got to remember yeah. also when a boy spouts misogyny, you actually feel a very visceral reaction to that. Um, it's, it's, you know, if a boy doesn't know how to split an atom or I don't know how to, how to work out how to balance an equation, that lack of education on his part doesn't anger us. It doesn't upset us. When a boy lacks education in the area of misogyny or feminism, uh, I think understandably uh, it, it's up, it can be upsetting. It can actually be repellent. It can be disgusting what we're hearing. Um, so also we need to, as teachers, figure out ways. Like how do we control our emotions there? Um, and I think at times you have to be almost like a saint to be able to do that. So, so how do we do that? Um, what what strategies can we put in place to help us? Well, let me let me ask you in a minute, Matt, yep. and I'm going to ask, uh, bring Charlotte back in as well in a second. I know we've got Maggie waiting patiently in the wings as well. I will be bring, uh, talking to Maggie in a bit too. Um, before I ask you, because in a minute, I'll, I'll put that scenario to you of basically what Emily has outlined there. Uh, a, a student makes a comment that... Uh, would, would I'm sure be deemed unacceptable um, and is unacceptable uh, within any context but it's how you respond to that in class as a teacher and and I'd be interested in in putting that sort of scenario to both of you in a moment um, before we do that it's just to say that this show on Teachers Talk Radio like all our shows is brought to you in partnership with John Cat Education you can see them pinned at the top of this space if you want to find out more click that tweet uh, go into the link there uh, visit johncapbookshop.com um, and explore their latest titles and advance your own professional development today. They've got some brilliant books out at the moment. One example of a book that I've read recently from John Cap, which I thought was was very good, was from Bridget Knight uh, on the subject of values and the value of subjects. If you want to check that out, uh, it's available on the website, johncutbookshop.com. But also, uh, John Gibbs, who's a Teachers Talk Radio host, did an interview with Bridget on Friday, which is available on the website. It's well worth a listen. If you're interested in values-based education, character-based education, then that show from Friday is is well worth looking up um, if you want to spend an hour on on a podcast um, from T TTR. Um, so... Uh, Charlotte, I'll come to you first, then I'll go back to Matt. Charlotte, let's see if your signal's okay now. Charlotte, are you there? I am. I'm here. Can you have you got me? Yeah, yeah, hopefully. Yeah. I was gonna ask because I mean Emily's highlighted a, a scenario there, which I'm sure has played out hundreds of times in, in, in classrooms. And there's a number of different responses that could happen. The one that Emily stated, which I'm sure many teachers take, uh or uh, or other options. I I'm wondering what your response to that would be in the classroom as a teacher. Um, so when I write um, a, a, a scheme of work on relationships and sex education, the first couple of lessons are about sexism in society. And everything that we learn beyond that, you know, refers back to what we learned in the first two lessons about gender stereotypes and sexism in society. And of course, it is acknowledged at the beginning of the unit that any discussion about relationships and sex education is going to elicit giggles, it's going to elicit nerves, it's going to elicit the desire to have a bit of banter and, and have a bit of crack around it, and that all of that is healthy and normal and, you know, not to be ashamed of. Um, so you've kind of established 
that I expect that from you and that's okay. But, you know, there are sort of boundaries within which we will speak and there's language that we will use and we're going to lay out uh, those ground rules from the start with compassion and with care and with understanding, then they're laid out. And it kind of sort of diffuses a bit of the, you know, desire to to speak like that. Because if you as a teacher are saying, I totally acknowledge that this is awkward and you you know, you know, feel a bit funny about talking about all of these things, but that's what we're going to do. And also if you ground your scheme of work in an exploration of sexism in society, um, the relationship between sexist attitudes, beliefs and behaviours uh, to sexual violence and, and showing that spectrum and showing that in places where, um, you know, sexist attitudes prevail, women are less safe. And when you kind of, you know, make that clear from the beginning, it sort of takes away maybe that desire for for kids to kind of make such a joke out of it. And um, And the other thing I would say is that there's been a lot of focus um, over the last week or so about, you know, the idea of a teachable moment of, you know, in the middle of your lesson, somebody says something about Andrew Tate and you stop the lesson and deal with it. And, you know, all the sort of ways that teachers can do that. But that is no substitute for a curriculum in place to teach children about sexism. And it's no substitute for a culture in a school that mm. addresses sexism. And that's mm. in your policies. So does your school have a sexist language policy? Because I know... When I worked in London, you know, in some pretty forward thinking schools, they had um, homophobic language policy or racist language policy, but they didn't have a sexist language policy. It was one of the things that my feminist society asked for. Um, then look at your playground. What does your playground look like? Is it dominated by boys with balls and girls being pushed to the side? Um, could girls play any kind of ball sport if they wanted to, or would they be pushed, you know, off the field? How does your school need to say we are going to redesign how the playground is used so that it is used 50-50 by girls and boys. And then, you know, think about on your corridors, if a boy does grab a girl or make a comment, what is the response? Is it on Sims? Like, is it on your behaviour kind of management system that there is such a thing as a sexist incident and there's sexist behaviour, or sorry, sexist behaviour and language? Is there a chance to have a conversation, you know, with kids about that? So all of these things are about the ethos of the school, about the culture of the school, about the behaviour systems in place. And of course, then there's your curriculum. You know, what does your curriculum say about the place of women? You know, is is, is a history lesson, you know, about, you know, dead white men? I, I asked kids, you know, recently, and I'm a history teacher, right? So I, I totally accept responsibility for this. But um, I said, you know, to one of the groups I was teaching, what women have you learned about in history? And this was at the end of, you know, three years of Key Stage 3. And they said, you know, Henry VIII, six wives and the suffragettes. They were the women that they learned about. So, you know, no other women existed in history for these kids in, in the three years in which they had learned about so many men. You know, they'd learned about Martin Luther King and they'd learned about Gandhi. And, you know, they'd learned about, you know, all the characters in First World War, et cetera, et cetera. But they're just, there's no women, you know? So if it's not in your curriculum, if your corridors are dominated by boys, if your classroom management is allowing boy voice to dominate, all of these things tell the message to the kids that boys are on top. And I wondered, I wondered, I mean, you've mentioned a few really interesting examples there, but what can school leaders do? I mean, what, what would you want school leaders to do? You mentioned having the policy. You mentioned creating the culture. I mean... What sort of things are going on that are almost slipping under the radar? Um, you know, are, are are some teachers feeling intimidated by groups of students, stuff like that? You know, what 
what would you want leaders to do? Well, I mean, I think the first thing to do is to talk to your students and ask them questions and get some answers because you don't know what it's like to be a teenage girl and you don't know what it's like to be a teenage boy, but they do. And, you know, a lot of the time we talk about student voice and it's tokenistic and it's rubbish, right? You know, but actually student voice is really valid when you're asking kids to tell you about their lives. And when you're asking them, what is it like to get the bus into school? Is there, you know, do you feel safe on the bus as a girl? Um, Do you get comments about your clothing? I mean, uniform is obviously a big thing that schools can do to think about, you know, making life easier for girls. Um, So uh, talk to the kids, find out what it's like, you know, use surveys, obviously be careful the questions that you ask and all that. But, you know, even just get in little focus groups, you know, if you want to set up a feminist society or, you know, a gender equality society, call it whatever you want, but an opportunity for kids to kind of work on this as well. I would say definitely having a, a policy on sexist language and behaviour is important. And, you know, announcing that, you know, maybe, you know, having an assembly to say, we, we, we thought it was important to announce this. We, we want to make sure that, you know, this language is not used. And it's also not used by girls because girls can do this to other girls. You know, mm. girls, girls call each other all the terrible names and slut, slut shame each other. Um, and, you know, that makes, you know, that plays into misogyny, you know, just as much as, as what boys are doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, OK, uh, I, I think you've got to go soon, haven't you, Charlotte? I could be right. Yes. I don't want to. Yeah. So I, I mean, five minutes, five minutes, five minutes. Um, Emily, I'll, I'll bring you back in uh, just before we sort of move on to, to touch chat with Maggie about her, her school and what she's been doing. Um you're you're sort of I mean I'm really still sort of interested in in what you said here. You said um it must not be done in the form of a lecture in, in class. Mm. It, should, it should entail calling them in rather than calling them out. Uh which which I found rarely leads to anyone changing their view. You you've already said that. I mean, how what from your experience as a as a sort of lecturer in in you know, senior lecturer in criminology at the University of Surrey, what are the dangers um, if young boys adopt these attitudes further down the line and sort of really get uh, heavily influenced and set in these views? What are the sort of dangers? Um, Yeah, yeah, sure. So, yeah, and it's funny, isn't it? I say um, we can't lecture our way out of this problem um, when I am actually a lecturer. So, um, <laughs> yeah, ironic. But, really? um, <laughs> but, yeah, no, and I and I completely take the point of what everyone said about the actual complexities of um, kind of critically engaging with this stuff with, um, with boys. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, we kind of know what we've got to do, but doing it is, is the challenging part of it. Um, I think, yeah, from a kind of criminological perspective, it's not... Um, it's not kind of this straightforward thing in terms of, oh, you know, you express these views and therefore you're going to go out and commit, um, you know, serious offences against women and, and all of that. You know, yes, maybe, absolutely. You know, most men who, you know, the men who are committing offences against women endorse sexist and misogynistic perspectives, right? That, that yeah. you, you can watch it from that angle. However, on the flip side, not every boy who expresses these ideas is, is necessarily going to go on um, and, and engage in those no. behaviours. No. So we can be, we have to be quite measured about that. I think what I'm picking up when I speak to um, teenage boys about, say, some of the issues around sexual violence is the way in which these narratives really constrain their ability 
to understand how to have relationships and how to deal with some of the complexities that we know, you know, we're talking about more and more, aren't we? Harmful sexual behavior between young people, problems like coercive control, um, violence in relationships and so on. The, the normalization of some of that to the extent that um, it might not even be recognized as an issue. And um, we're not really making space. I mean, right at the beginning of the conversation, talking about ideas around masculinity and so on. Um, if we're not really offering a way for boys to develop an awareness, a critical awareness of social norms and, and, and all of the kind of gendered beliefs that, that we mm. see in society, but also around emotional literacy. If, um, you know, Andrew Tate is almost giving voice and a structure to some of um, what these boys are struggling with, but then also entrenching the problem, right? Because it's offering, I think, you know, one of your other contributors said it is, it's like a cartoonish form of masculinity that doesn't actually resolve any of the dilemmas that boys face and actually puts more pressure on them to act up to a particular type of masculinity that probably isn't accessible. So then when they're having relationships with girls or with other boys or whatever, where is the emotional literacy? Where is the emotional intelligence to actually engage in those relationships and have positive relationships and positive experiences, right? When I, you know, I had a recent research sitting down with boys and talking about consent. Yeah, you know, they, they, could, they could prattle off the, the law on consent. They, they knew the definition of that, no problem. They've been taught that. But what they, and they knew all the things they were and weren't allowed to do and what they should be doing and not doing. But when it came to navigating the emotional realities of having relationships and having sex and the peer pressures and the social expectations, they had no idea what they were doing. And, and people like Andrew Tate aren't really giving them an answer. It looks like they are, but it's a simplistic, it's a, it's a, it's a blunted answer. So yes, of course, there will be boys that go out and they commit awful acts of violence. But I think also underneath that, that there is some some more complex stuff going on that's really constraining the ability of boys to have happy and healthy relationships and and happy sort of perspectives on themselves, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of factors there, isn't there? Is obviously Tate is just one tiny mm. piece. He's a him. mirror of this, right? Oh. It's like we, we go on about it. It's like we say, oh, porn, online porn is the cause of all our problems. If only we could get rid of that. If only we could get rid of Andrew Tate. Yeah, okay, but then what? Like, there's something deeper happening here mm. that this is reflecting. I mean, I was talking earlier um, with with Matt around this idea of masculinity versus toxic masculinity. Um, do you think, like, what what is... I suppose I'm asking you now, Emily. You know, we, we know what the traits... I, I, Matt was excellent in his analysis, in his so summary of what toxic masculinity is. Everyone would sort of go, you'd be nodding their heads and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the bit maybe where, I guess, like, what, what you know, we, we've identified there's an issue there. We've said that lots and lots of young boys and men are heading towards people like Tate, not just because of the money and the, the sexy lifestyle and all that sort of stuff, but this sort of idea of masculinity. This idea of there's something is it is it what what Matt said this sort of like James Bond sort of thing I don't know mm. but you what 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 is it what's what's going on Yeah I mean when when I speak to boys about what they find attractive and it was really interesting to hear the other contributors share their perspective on this and I I completely agree with um with with the kind of summaries that were given about what what boys are thinking and feeling about these these people and yeah something I'm picking up on is 
is, 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 is almost a contradictory like thing going on. So like on the one hand, yeah, it's this idea of like being powerful and dominating and yeah, you know, yeah, the money, the cars, the, the cigars, the, all this kind of, all that stuff that, that people like Andrew Tate put out there. Um, that almost looks quite comical, actually. I mean, I watch. think that's um, material. I think that's it's, there's a material side that's of it. driving that. Yeah, but then there's also this side of boys. I, th- I think it was uh, uh, sorry. Uh, it might have been Matt who said this. Uh, there's there's this idea uh, that when I sit down and speak to boys, um, where they feel that they are being told that they're doing something wrong. You know, we've we've got sexual violence in society, we've got this, we've got that, and it's boys' fault, it's men's yeah. fault, and they need to change. And some of the boys are thinking, well, yeah, yeah, you know, we get it. We get that sexual violence yeah. is a problem and, and all of this, but, but they feel unfairly targeted. And there is this kind of positive vision of masculinity of, yeah, no, you don't deserve to be unfairly targeted. And even what I'm picking up from boys is not only do you not deserve to be targeted, but you're actually the ones in danger. I mean, this is a whole separate thing, but, but the idea of false yeah. accusations of rape, so yeah. many boys I sit down to want to talk to me about that. And they say, we're the ones in danger. We're the ones whose lives will be ruined by girls. And I say, where do you know that? Like, how do you know that? Does this happen in life? Like, to, to your friends or whatever? And they go, no, no, it's people online. Like, you read these stories about, about this guy and, like, this girl accused him of rape and now his life's ruined. And, and they talk about all this stuff. And they say, that's what feminism does to us. It puts us in prison. Like, we might make a mistake and we're going to, you know, our life will be over. And so there is, there's almost this side of masculinity about, yeah, it's, it's this positive, albeit toxic form of masculinity that we can celebrate, but also this other narrative of, yeah, you're actually the vulnerable ones. And I think what that's tapping into in these boys is ongoing feelings of vulnerability and complexity that they've got about their own inner emotional life that they're not necessarily having space to express, right? Certainly not in their male peer groups. No. And, and, and not really in the, these kind of educational settings, right, where it's all just banter and all of that happening in the classroom. So I think the, the guys are tapping in, some of these influencers or whatever we want to call mm. them, is tapping into that side of it as well, that vulnerability that they feel. I mean, I asked this earlier to um, Charlotte, who's actually gone now, so thank you very much. I didn't have a chance to say thanks very much for coming on to Charlotte. I think she had to go. But, um, but she was, she was I, I asked her earlier what schools should or could do um and and maggie i'm gonna bring maggie in now maggie can you unmute yourself please on the bottom left if you can hello hello good evening are you okay good evening i'm really interested in these things for everyone contribute yeah absolutely and do you want to introduce yourself in your role just just quickly yeah absolutely so i'm head of well-being at wolverhampton grammar school we're an independent school um obviously in wolverhampton and um, being head of well-being means that i am in effect head of department for pshe and rse um and look at that whole school look at that in terms of guest speakers lessons tutor sessions uh so yeah so that's what i do and um it's it's been really interesting because we've been doing some work around andrew tate specifically but also around all of the other themes that are linked to him right well i want you to talk us through in detail if you can from start to finish all the work you've been doing um, the interventions, the, the the sort of philosophy behind it, that would be really interesting for, for me and, and all the listeners, I'm sure. Okay, I hope you've got quite a while then. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we've, we've got ages. <laughs> Don't worry. Okay, that's great. So, um, you know, I, I really take the, the point that um, 
Dr Emily made about making that that safe space for the students to talk and that was something that was really important important to Wolverhampton Grammar when we embarked upon uh, widening our curriculum so that PSHE had a specialist group of teachers who were trained there was time on the timetable for 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 lessons the curriculum was um rebuilt and rewritten obviously to incorporate all of the statutory content that we need to um in terms of pshe and rse but also to, to go beyond the statutory as well so we have a spiral curriculum that runs from um year seven through to 13 and it incorporates um lots of the topics that have been discussed today so we talk about misogyny we talk about discrimination particularly the equality act and what the protected characteristics are and what that will mean to our students not not only in school but also as they go on to the wider world of work and and beyond university and so on we also have um, regular conversations about sexism and what that looks like what our hard line is on what's acceptable hate speech and something that, that hasn't been talked about too much yet this evening which is online safety um and you know because these influencers like andrew tate are accessing our, our children through social media so to empower them and to understand what it really means if you follow someone what it really means if you like and share or retweet their content um so within the context of that wider curriculum and, and the lessons. We also back that up with guest speakers. I'm um, a white woman. If I want to have um, a speaker in, uh, for example, if we want to do some work on racism, I'm not the best person to speak about racism because that's not part of my daily life. So we look at um, specialists that can come in and speak from a, a place of experience and therefore relate better to our students. With um, what's happened with Andrew Tate, this is something that I've been following for quite a while. Yeah. Um, and I was cautious not to be reactive to what he was doing and therefore sensationalised him and in some way sparked curiosity in the students. And I think, oh, OK, what was that about? Maybe I'm, I'm going to go and have a, have a little look at what this guy's about. But I think in certainly over recent weeks, over Christmas and so on, when he's been arrested, it's become more and more of a, an, an issue um, and he's been brought up more and more in lessons. So I teach um, Key Stage 3 once a week, every week, and we have these wider conversations anyway. So the students often come to me and say, oh, Miss, what did you think about this that I saw in the news? Or what do you think? You know, today I was asked, for example, what I think about the um, the Gender Equality Act in Scotland and it's giving the, the children that space to be able to talk about issues that are close to them. So with Andrew Tate, um, the way I felt and the way that, that I, I led on this is that we're talking about hate speech anyway. We're talking about sexism anyway. This isn't anything new to us. And, and as Dr Emily said, you know, if Andrew Tate disappears overnight, all of these issues will still exist. However, because the children are talking about it and they needed that space to, to be able to, 
to really find out what's going on and be able to ask those questions in a safe way. And certainly, you know, we have our boundaries of, of what's acceptable, but I certainly wouldn't shut down a conversation without any follow-up at all. Um, and we always do that as, yeah. as a matter of course. So we, um, we over the next sort of two to three weeks, we've got some actual lesson time that we're dedicating because our curriculum isn't rigid. We can do that. Um, and what I've chosen to do is I've asked for, for male teachers who have a pastoral background. Um, there's also another teacher of, of wellbeing, which is what we call PSHE and RSA, who is male. And they're going to deliver this this content this is particularly because andrew tate and his supporters online uh are, are specifically saying um you know your female teachers are going to tell you this in response to what i'm doing um and i certainly don't want to fall into into that trap so we've got some lessons to talk about why he's popular why he is um attracting so much publicity but we're also you know very careful not to demonize him in totality now andrew tate um and and i thought it was really interesting um that matt uh, referred to him as a groomer and I, I i really picked up on that and it resonated with me because um he is in many ways a groomer so mm. Because, you know, I, you know, for me to be able to teach or to, to pr provide the content for the male positive role models to, to then sort of deliver, um, I've done a lot of research about Tate. And, and what he does, just like a groomer, is he drops in the, the, the hate speech, the misogyny, amongst a whole lot of other content that is actually really positive, really appealing, things that you wouldn't want to disagree with, you know, things about boys aiming high, that they can do really well, that they can earn as much money as he's had, that, you know, they should reach for the stars. Um, he also says a lot of positive things about women, believe it or not. Um, mm. He talks about women being very precious, how uh, women are, I mean, slightly patronised, patronizing yes but he talks about how in the princesses he talks about his faith and his religion um and then you know the the hate speech really is dropped in to to that discourse yeah um i, I don't know if i'm which i guess is <laughs> which i guess is more dangerous in the sense that it's sort of like well it's sort of some of it will be subtle, won't it? And sort of um, it is, you know, embedded, I mean, embedded into the content. Let's say, you know, and young men are very intelligent, and you know, I think if it was nothing but hate speech, they, you know, the vast majority of them mm. would, would recognise it as a, yeah. you know, no go area, and that's not. Well, that's why. Them. That's why I was sort of the theme for me. One of my big questions mm. tonight has been why, because as I said earlier, there's, there's no way that. Every person who follows someone like this guy, there's millions of them. Not mm. all of them can can sort of believe in, you know. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe they can all believe in some of this stuff, but I find it hard to believe there must be some other things that are that they feel disenfranchised over or this or uh, yeah, he's tapping into things yeah. that they want to talk about. There's a lot that's really appealing to them. Um, and, you know, because it's a safe space in wellbeing um, at, at my school, I ask the students, you know, um, 
like Charlotte said, I don't know what it's like to be a teenage boy or a teenage girl in, in 2023, but I'm surrounded by teenagers who can tell me. So, you know, I learn from them and we and we open that up to debate. But certainly, um, the do you know about the subscription to Hustlers University that that this guy I pushes? Know it got in? shut down, yeah. 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 So, so I mean, he's, he's obviously there's a certain. Well, yeah, I don't know if we and can think... class them as criminal activities, but there are, no, there are, we we possibly we could we could do probably, but they, they then yeah, we need to be careful what we say they are and they yeah. are. But, yeah, but, yeah, but I mean, like Hustlers University was about how he earned his money and yeah. how he got notoriety, how he got yeah. success, and how that's achievable to everyone. And when he's sitting there with, you know, the famous Bugattis and the Ferraris and and everything else, and he's also you know, and maybe an unpopular opinion, but but true, I think, to the to young men is that he's very charismatic. Mm. He's very funny. Um, and you know, when we start to talk about Andrew Tate, some of the boys will sort of sort of roll their eye, eyes and sort of, of smile because a lot of what he says is quite funny. And it's about mm. talking to the students and saying to them, okay, so is anybody, anybody at all, all bad or all good? Because we aren't. We're all human beings. Well, that's why, that's why I was saying earlier, yeah. I, I'm not an expert on tape. The only reason I've sort of looked up his stuff is for this show. And mm-hmm. when, I, when I did, I, I was sort of not surprised, but I, a lot of what he does is so ridiculous that I, my question <laughs> in my head was, is he actually doing this for that? Is he doing this... Is he almost playing that sort of character? Like when he did that video the other week with uh, Thunberg, when he's sort of smoking his cigar and his dressing yeah. I mean, there was something outlandishly silly about it that surely a person of his intelligence would know what he was doing. So I think I think he absolutely does know what he's yeah, doing. And that's all, all part of the, the grooming, if yeah. you like, that, that Matt talked about. That yeah. you know, because he's funny, because sometimes he's like a cartoon character, because sometimes he says positive things about women, it can be quite a confusing arena for the students to be in. And so um, by... Now, in my school, talking directly about Andrew Tate and not just Andrew Tate, but so many other social media influencers like him. And there's there's a list longer than my arm. uh, They're going to be uh, seeing these videos. These videos are shared, even if they don't follow them themselves. And being able to have that critical mind to decide, you know, okay, why is this person doing this? What does this person get out of me following them or liking or sharing their video? And what? What's their real motivation in this? You know, a large proportion of the money that Andrew Tate has, has earned has been through social media. You know, he's making money from from our young students. And then, yeah. you know, linking that also, he's he's very dangerously linked to the incel community. Mm-hmm. So for the, the students to be aware of what that is as well. There's definitely a danger there underneath all of this so definitely there is there's elements of danger there i mean what what, maggie in terms of what what do you think the role of assemblies can be i mean have you done any sort of big assemblies and have you tried to tackle it in that way in your school i think i think assemblies are um and like dr emily said it's it's a lecture in 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 effect that's what the students have yeah i don't think it's the best um place to 
because I, I always want discussion. So for me, I'm there to facilitate the discussion of the students. I want their opinions. I want them to debate it. And for me to offer them that safe space, that well-informed space, so that actually we can get some factual knowledge behind what they're doing. And assembly, I'm not so keen on because they're being talked at. And particularly when Tate and his supporters, if we use him as an example of misogynistic views, will say, this is what they're going to say. He says that, you know, teachers are all part of the matrix and we're all in it mm -hmm. together. And, you know, it's kind of feeding into that. So um, I think, you know, from, from my perspective, I would say for schools and, and, you know, this is, I suppose the title of the show is What Can Schools Do? I would say become very well informed about who, you know, the content before you go in and talk about him because otherwise you can play into his hands. He knows yeah, absolutely. Um, assemblies not great. However, we do have um, assemblies about wider topics such as discrimination. We have assemblies for, you know, Black History Month. Um, we have assemblies for disability awareness and so on. But it, it's part of the story rather than, OK, let's throw um, a tokenistic assembly at this and, and, and tick that box. That's something that really I have shied away from. I'll just bring Matt in really uh, again. Um, Matt, if you're still there. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I was going to ask, like, do you think, based on, well, first of all, what do you think of what Maggie has said there? But also, do you think there's a case for not mentioning his name at all in school? Do you think there's actually a case for saying, right, let's talk about, I don't know, racism, misogyny, whatever the, the, the topics or issues are, and not bring his name in? Because, do, do, I mean, do you think that by bringing his name into it, you almost, well, like what Maggie said, you play into his hands. Yeah. Um, firstly, yeah, Maggie, that was that was fascinating. It was really good to hear, to hear, hear what you had to say on that. Um, and certainly it's made me, I, I'm actually doing a series of assemblies um, in a couple of weeks at my school, next week actually. Um, and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell the students that I will be available in my classroom at lunch times on the day of that assembly. If anybody wants to yeah, discuss, um, right. So, in answer to your question, like, do we mention Tate? Um, I, I, I think we do. I, I, I did a tweet uh, yesterday or the day before that said, you know, if you're going to approach this, um, I think your starting point is misogyny. Um, misogyny came before Tate. Tate is a symptom of misogyny. Um, he's not the creator of it. Mm. Um, I do think you have to mention Tate. I think there's this quite fallacious idea, um, or sorry, this, this incorrect idea that if we mention taboo subjects, um, that the hearers of that language will automatically um, kind of take that behaviour on. Um, and this is, this is in many areas. Um, if you take the research into suicide... Uh, many people don't talk about suicide because they worry that the mention of the word suicide will make anybody listening to it um, potentially more at risk at suicide of suicide. And we know from the research that that's not the case. Um, you can look at the way that Section 28 tried to suppress uh, homosexuality in schools. Um, and that was, I think, because people were worried that if you mentioned homosexuality, then everyone would become homosexual. And um, mm -hmm. any homosexual person will tell you that 
um, you you don't hear the word heterosexual and become straight all of a sudden. So, and I I think it's the same with Tate. Um, I don't think we have to worry that in talking about Andrew Tate, that all the boys that we teach are going to go off, be seduced yeah, by of him. Um, now, of course, many boys will, but I think as uh, Dr. Emily mentioned, um, I think that if you do mention Tate and you do open um, boys' awareness to him, boys who previously had not heard of him, and they go off, look him up, and become interested in what he has to say, uh, the issue, as, as Dr. Emily said, is there are underlying issues there. Yeah. All right? It's not the fact that the teacher said the word Tate that made these boys like Tate. Um, yeah. You know, there was a, 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 an already a pre-existing set of conditions or, or circumstances that have made them more susceptible to his to his charm or influence. Um, so, yeah, I mean, certainly in my assemblies, I'm going to be talking about misogyny. I'm going to be outlining very clearly behaviours uh, and language that is acceptable and not acceptable. And Tate will feature... Um, uh, as will some other people, as a kind of an example of, of this misogyny, um, but certainly he won't be the he won't be the focus. Um, Emily, if you're still there, I was going to ask you sort of what are the things you definitely wouldn't say to boys slash students about this? What, what what are the things you would advise against doing if there is anything? <laughs> Um, yeah, no, and I, that that was really um, interesting to listen um, to Matt there because yeah, I'm I'm totally of the view that that um, yeah, you know, bringing stuff out into the open is is a good well, what they say, disinfectant or whatever. It doesn't actually kind of push people in one direction or the other. Just raising a topic, I think. Yeah, I mean, what not to do? I think I think the style of engagement is important. I think just kind of turning around and saying, no, that's yeah. wrong. You're not meant to think and feel or believe that, okay? I, I don't think that's going to work. It's either going to have zero effect or it's going to, um, you know, or, or, or it's going to potentially make the problem worse. I think um, I also don't think holding... Andrew Tate up as being this kind of boogeyman you know I totally get yeah. no we don't all need to pretend he doesn't exist but I think holding him up as this big thing and being yeah. like look at this that's and, what and, he and, wants isn't it <laughs> that's exactly anyway. what he wants yeah. he, he, he'll then be pushing the narrative look everyone tells you not to listen to me what's the thing if we tell somebody no it's bad it's dangerous it makes yeah. them want to do it even more right it increases the attractiveness and the enticing kind of character that these people can have I mean you know th think like, like I've, I've mentioned porn already haven't I it's, it's that sort of thing if we tell kids not to do stuff well they're teenagers Teenagers that will make them want to do it more. And I think, you know, um, countering stuff, because, yeah, just because we don't want to tell people stuff is wrong and that's the end of the discussion doesn't mean that we don't want to challenge it. I think trying to do so through thinking about the context in which people are developing and experiencing their lives. So, for example, say with the false accusations of rape thing, what I've noticed teachers do is if a boy says something like that, they throw in a whole bunch of statistics to show that actually false accusations of rape aren't a big deal. Like, no, this doesn't really happen. Um, look, like this many percentage of rapes is false. You know what I mean? So, that, And I don't think that works, right? I don't think we can meet what is often an expression of an emotion, like an anxiety or stress or confusion and uncertainty like just going and saying well no statistically that's not actually realistic um I don't know whether that's massively helpful I think actually coming and saying okay 
right because when i sit down and say talk to boys about those kinds of topics false accusations what you do when and they can be very misogynistic it, it and does hostile. interest me this emily so you're saying that a lot of the boys you've talked to that's been one of their bigger you know big yeah. biggest concerns is, mm-hmm. is being falsely accused of of sexual assault or, or yeah. rape or, or whatever yeah this is something I mean, that comes really up sad, at, isn't it? it's really, really sad and and do you know what it's it's I'm worrying be- yeah, it is worrying. That's, that's not necessarily their fault in a way that they, if they're scared of that, then yeah. social media and other influences, obviously, that, that obviously certain things have happened, I guess, high profile things, but it, it's not just that. There must be other things at play if, if mm. people are, yeah, you, boys are so stressed about that. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's interesting to me when you actually start digging into, yeah, there's a whole bunch of anxiety that's like why they think this is a problem, but but also what they even think a false accusation of rape is. Like, what does that actually mean to them? Because, yeah, yeah some of these boys can be very sort of misogynistic, hostile. They're like, girls are liars, girls regret it. And then they, you know, that, that they want to then just say it's rape just so that they don't get, I don't know, in trouble by their parents or something. So there, there can be hostility expressed, but also, though, a bit more nuanced. So, so some of the boys I've spoken to have said things like, oh, well, you know, I think um, false accusations happen where, like, the girl thinks that she was clear that she didn't want to do anything, and then you haven't really picked up on that, and then she turns around and says that she ra- you raped her. And I was like, oh, so you're not actually saying that she's lying then. It's those scenarios where, I don't know, breakdown of communication or whatever it might be that's gone on, and they were like, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's where most of this stuff happens, right? If the girl was feeling something and you didn't pick up on it, and then she turns around and says that you assaulted her. And I was like, oh, okay, so actually this terminology, false accusation of sexual violence, whatever, is being used to refer to all of these sorts of um, uncertainties and confusions that these boys are feeling in their sexual interactions, right? And I asked them about um, same-sex um, interactions, and I'm like, oh, do you think, um, you know, these false accusations, if we want to call them that, do we think that happens in gay relationships um, and encounters? And they were like, no, no, not really. And this is very heteronormative and stereotypical, you know, mm-hmm. this isn't, that I'm not endorsing what they're saying, but their view is, oh, well, you know, like, two guys together, you know how each other feels, like, you can read body language and everything. With girls, we just don't have any idea what a girl's feeling, that we're different. So there's so many gender stereotypical, heteronormative ideas mm-hmm. sitting underneath these concerns, but actually, if you just throw a bunch of statistics at them about the, the likelihood of a false accusation, that doesn't really resolve any of those, what's really going on underneath the surface, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's why I'm kind of thinking, no, we can't lecture our way out of this. There isn't facts-based solutions to these problems, right? We need to really be talking about, yeah, the social realities, the emotional realities of, of what this feels like. Because most boys I speak to, for all this stuff that Andrew Tate's putting up about masculinity... Most boys I speak to are not sexually active. They don't feel confident to even go and speak to a girl, let alone, you know, all this performance of masculinity. Emily, don't, don't talk about <laughs> me at the age of 14 publicly, please. It's very distasteful to discuss everything I shared about my teenage years with you in, in public space. I'm um, breaching your anonymity, your confidentiality here, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think, like, I mean... Everything you say, I mean, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Like, really, really interesting. And um, the final part of the show, because I've still got Matt, I've still got Emily, I've still got Maggie. I don't know how long I've got Matt for. Maybe you know, we're going to end in fifteen minutes anyway. Yeah, I can. Till... I can stay to the end. There you go. I've got Matt till nine. So in a minute, I'm going to ask you all to sort of close it off. 
And then I'm going to invite anyone else in the space because we've got a load of li- we've had 50, 60, 70 people listening the whole way through. So welcome to anyone who's just joined us. If you want to listen back to this, it'll be available on the same link as a recording. So if you want to share it around with anyone you think it might be useful for, then then please do. Um, if you want to listen back to it as a podcast, we'll be publishing it through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, Google Podcasts, all the, all the main providers in the next sort of 24, 48 hours. So that it'll be there as well. So follow us on those. Um, but what we're going to do for the last sort of 10, 15 minutes is what are your tips for schools moving forward with this because i've seen briefings being printed i've seen a lot of sort of panic and and i think that's going on again i think we've got another wave of that matt mentioned that it started in august september and i think we were experiencing another wave of it so in a minute i'm going to ask all three of you in turn what your sort of tips for for teachers and schools and people who work in classrooms is before we do that one final shout for John Cat. Um, if you haven't already looked at the pinned tweet at the top of the space, please check it out. They've got a whole range of new titles that they're just releasing at the moment, which I'm absolutely certain are going to be of interest to the listeners of this show. I'll give you one example of a book that's coming out very soon from them, um, which you can you can sort of get involved in and, and, and read. It's called Pretended Schools and Section 28 by Catherine Lee. I know that Genevieve Ben is going to be doing a TTR show, hosting a TTR show with Catherine very soon to talk about this book. Um, But it looks and sounds like an incredibly important read. It's brand new. It's out now. It's called Pretended Schools in Section 28, Historical, Cultural and Personal Perspectives by Catherine Lee. Um, If you want to find out more, visit johncatbookshop.com. Matt, I'll start with you. Tips for teachers and schools on this issue of Andrew Tate slash misogyny slash um, the future of, of, of teaching all this stuff. Okay. Um, so it was said earlier, but I think the first thing there needs to be clear policy. I think just as, yeah, as there's a homophobia policy, uh, a racism policy, I think schools, um, students, teachers and parents need to be educated um, as to exactly what constitutes inappropriate uh, behaviour uh, and language. Um, lots, you know, the report by UK Feminista that, that, that's, that's, that's quite famous um, from 2017, I believe, uh, shows that, you know, actually not a lot of teachers know what sexual harassment looks like. Um, is a wolf whistle sexual harassment? Is a, you know, a drawing of a penis on um, a toilet wall? Is that sexual harassment? Teachers don't know. Um, so it's, it's no wonder that the kids don't necessarily know. So I think there needs to be absolute clarity on actually what uh, is, is acceptable or certainly what is unacceptable. Um, a lot of the research shows that actually boys really overestimate the extent to which other boys are sexist um, and they underestimate the extent to which others are not. So I do think um, their needs, schools need to look at engineering a system where, where boys can discuss these things in an open forum that's carefully managed. Uh, and I do actually think that they'll find that actually not every boy is a sexist, uh, you know, a, a sexist pig, essentially. Yeah. Um, and finally, uh, I do think that, I do think that um, 
if you are a misogynist, uh, you're more likely to listen to another man. There's lots of research into this that shows that when a man calls another man out, um, sadly, misogynists are more likely to listen to them. Um, however, what much of the advocates for... Uh, men holding other men or boys holding other boys to account neglect is that actually for many men uh, and many boys holding each other to account uh, can be quite dangerous on a literal level it can be quite quite dangerous Um, you know if I see a group of football fans uh, sexually harassing a woman on a tube train late at night and I'm on my own the fact is that when I call that behavior out um, it could be threatening and it could put me in danger Um, and on a selfish level where's my daughter then the same can be you know said for boys on the playground Um, also socially it can be quite dangerous Um, you know it can be very hard for a 14 year old boy in a group chat Uh, on Snapchat or on the playground, when one of his mates in the group says a sexist joke and all the other boys laugh, it can be very difficult for the boys to say, actually, lads, that's not fair. Um, So I do think we need to find... I think boys certainly need to be told that they can hold each other to account. But we do need to, again, look at ways that boys can do this in a way that isn't dangerous, um, in a way that is effective, and in a way that... um, doesn't leave them as these kind of social outcasts uh, devoid of any friendship groups. Um, And again, I think uh, a school which fosters a culture of talking uh, or critiquing masculinity, having the kind of discussions that Maggie uh, and the other speakers have been speaking about can really help with that. Brilliant. Before I move on next to Emily, um, just to say that we've got two TTR shows tomorrow. Um, so you better get oh, that three. What am I talking about? We've got three. Um, 11 a.m. You've got Graham Stanley all the way from Mexico City live at 11 a.m. till 12 midday. Um, so listen to that. You can listen to that ttradio.org and just click listen live at 7.30 p.m. tomorrow night. We've got the lovely Lucy uh, talking with, uh, oh, my goodness me, what's his name? Kieran... Mackle something. Um, can't remember his surname. But anyway, um, Kieran is going to be talking with Lucy about maths mastery. 7.30pm tomorrow. So if you're interested in students mastering maths, then definitely come here to TTR Twitter Spaces tomorrow evening, 7.30pm. Uh, click the uh, Teachers Talk Radio bio icon and it'll take you straight through to Lucy's show. So enjoy that tomorrow evening. And then at 9 p.m., straight after Lucy, tomorrow evening, debut show, uh, Natalie, who's in the space, um, will be live on Teachers Talk Radio, 9 p.m. tomorrow night, tomorrow evening. Um, so make sure you listen into that. And I think off the top of my head, she's talking about... Um, the importance of the arts in the curriculum, the importance of um, bringing in uh, sort of the creative uh, creativity into the curriculum, which is obviously incredibly important. So that's from 9 p.m. tomorrow. Again, ttradio.org, and then click Listen Live to listen to that. So you've got, you've got loads to look forward to tomorrow. My goodness me. Emily, tips for schools and teachers on hate and misogyny yeah sure um yeah no and uh, i agree with everything um um that that matt just said there particularly around um the idea of kind of bystander intervention and and what actually feels safe and possible and giving young people you know girls and boys the tools that actually feel 
they can use with the realities of their kind of peer dynamics and so on. I think the only thing I'd add is, you know, this is a really complex um, systemic kind of social problem, right? And um, I think schools actually are being asked to resolve quite a lot of issues, okay? Like, um, and there's a lot of them pressure and responsibility being placed on these schools. And um, But they are kind of microcosms almost, aren't they? And they can become a place for practicing something new. We're talking about young people here, aren't we? Um, I think... What maybe st- staff and teachers and that in schools want to do is is keep talking to each other and learning about the nature of the problem and what's sitting underneath it. I think what's been really interesting about tonight's conversation is is we've all kind of told stories of like things we've heard from boys and insights that we've developed through through kind of trying to figure this out with young people. And then you start to just learn more and more about what's going on underneath the surface. So I think carrying on talking insights that you know you got in a lesson with some boys oh okay well that's something that we figured out let's share it and maybe we need to take this approach so seeing it as something that kind of staff have to come together um, and figure out you know what what the cause of the problem is for their actual um you know unique local um pupil population or whatever and not feel right it's all got to be resolved in one lesson or or one conversation because because it's not it's not going to happen it's a live dynamic um ongoing thing right and the more i think that the adults the teachers can be engaging with each other about what they're picking up on you know the better it's strengthening um those insights right yeah brilliant amazing blooming heck you you two matt and emily bloody hell i mean i i can't compete with your level of answers on this it's uh absolutely amazing um uh maggie final opportunity maggie tips and suggestions and advice that you would give to schools and teachers on the teaching of andrew tate slash misogyny need to unmute yourself bottom left maggie oh is maggie still there Am I still there? Is anyone still there? Well, while we're waiting for Maggie, um, if anyone else wants to call in, uh, then at this point, uh, to sort of share what they, what you think schools should be doing, what you think teachers could or should be doing on this issue, then feel free to do so. We've only got about five minutes left. So if you want to sort of get involved now, all you have to do, there's a little icon in the bottom left-hand side, little blue uh, mic icon, you can click that and you can request to speak and say something. Brent, our fellow TTR host, has requested, so we'll bring him in. Um, Brent, really hopefully succinctly, because we've only got a few minutes left. Oh, it's still saying connecting. Um, if anybody else wants to call in while we're waiting for um, Brent's uh, hamsters to turn around the wheel in his living room uh, to connect his Wi-Fi, then feel free to click the little icon in the bottom left-hand side, the little um, mic on icon. Click that. And while we're doing that, this is my opportunity to say thanks for our regular listeners. Uh, People like Mrs. Lloyd. Uh, People like Sam Edwards, who's always listening to TTR. Thank you very much, Sam Edwards, um, for always listening. Uh, Tolu, on Wednesday night, has her debut space. She's in the space now. Wednesday evening, 7.30 p.m., You've got a space tonight. You've got a space tomorrow. You've got a space on Wednesday, uh, Monday to Wednesday um, this week. So that's really something to look forward to. I'll just check if Maggie's still there. Cause she, Maggie, have you unmuted yourself, bottom left? Because I was hoping to hear for your, from your sort of final thoughts on things, if you're still there. Brent, you've connected. The hamsters have turned the wheel. <laughs> and you're with us. Hiya, Tom. Yeah, very quickly. This is just something that's been bugging me for a couple of years in in, in school. 
uh, and I want to just open it out to, to how everybody else feels about it. I find myself constantly trying to sort of stop the misogynistic behavior from a lot of the young lads towards my female colleagues. And, and maybe it's the old fashioned gentleman in me, but I do often find myself sometimes stepping in and thinking they're talking to me differently to how they're talking to some of my female colleagues. And it's made me sort of think of where is that coming from, how they treat, um, how they treat people differently. And, and again, in schools, and I think I find myself sometimes having to take a step back and say, well, I actually go in and, and interfere. It's that kind of old fashioned dad's the disciplinarian kind of thing. And I often find it's a bit unfortunate. I, I, I don't get the behavior problems that some of my female colleagues get. And it's not that they can't do discipline. I just think some of our boys just don't listen and don't respect. And I think that's some of the old fashioned views coming in from home. And, I, and I've seen uh, situations where, you know, some of the, the gentlemen, I've had to step in on some parents' evenings and actually as a union rep and say, I'm sorry, that conversation's finished because the way that some of the fathers have spoken to some of my colleagues I felt was not my having that. And, and I often ask myself that question of, they wouldn't speak to me like that. Why are they speaking to my colleague like that? And I think the profession needs a little bit of work on that about making sure that, you know, there is equality and, and that the teachers are treated equally and equally within, I think, every, I'm not sure, that's what I want to put this out there, whether that's just what the current setting that I am or whether that's a bit of an endemic issue that we have across the whole profession. So I just thought I'd throw that in there to see, is there any, what do people think about that? Well, we don't actually have time to find out. Um, but one thing I will try to do is is bring Maggie in for her final oh. words. Maggie, are you there again? Hi, Tom. I'm so glad I managed to get back on. I lost connection. No, no worries. You've got, two, you've got about three minutes to sort of I've... give your final tips, suggestions, advice for schools and teachers on the issue of misogyny slash Andrew Tate. Okay, that's fantastic. So I think, um, first of all, I would say, you know, really invest in a strong PSHE and RSE curriculum. Um, and I don't just mean in terms of money, you know, in terms of uh, training, in terms of time on the timetable, so that these conversations are ongoing, and they're not reactionary. So with my curriculum at my school, we obviously cover all the statutory requirements, but we can we've got time to go beyond and above that and make sure that the the conversations about misogyny, discrimination, racism and, and much more besides are, are constantly part of uh, of learning. Um, secondly, what I would say is, um, and something that we didn't pick on very much, is that encourage girls to be part of this conversation as well. Yes, you know, Andrew Tate is um, aiming his, his uh, content at boys, but it's a lot of it is about women and it's about girls. So empower their voices. And, you know, as peers and classmates within the, the classroom, that can be really powerful, actually. How does it make the girls feel in the room? How does it make women feel? How would it make, you know, uh, the students' mums or aunts or, or grandmothers feel? Um, and, and sort of really bring it into focus like that. Uh, and I think finally, it's really important that we empower our teachers and empower our parents by providing them opportunities to uh, read particular articles that we may have found that have been really interesting, really informative, listen to shows like this today to hear a, a whole range of perspectives. I know I've certainly learned a lot from Matt and Dr Emily and Charlotte, and, and I want to say thank you. And just to keep that conversation going as a community so that individuals like Andrew Tate really don't have the power that they really think they have.
Maggie, it's been an absolute pleasure. I just want to give a special thanks to 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 Maggie. I don't know who that is or what that is. It sounds like we've got a special alien joining us as well. Um, who knows? Um, but a, a, a massive thanks to Maggie, to Matt Pinkett, to Emily Setti, and to everyone else who was contributing. Charlotte, who was on earlier on. Um, and thank you ever so much to everyone who has listened today and engaged in, in the conversation, which I think has been a really important one. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow, 11am with Graham Stanley on TTR. Um, rest easy and have a good day tomorrow and speak to you all soon. Good night. <laughs>